Greetings, folks. This is going to be our final show of our first season of Root Words. We're going to take a few weeks off to work in the garden and to work on some stories we're really excited about. We're going to be bringing more people and perspectives to the table, as it were. Keep an eye on our feed, and we'll be back soon with some thought-provoking conversations that we think will shift the way you think about food and community. We're happy to end our first season with an episode that we feel drills down to the bedrock of the local food conversation. And a warning, this episode acknowledges the concepts of forced removal and genocide of indigenous people. Welcome to Root Words, a podcast that explores agriculture and cooking's role in connecting us to our landscape and our communities. I'm Stephen Abatel. Root Words is a collaboration between Vermont Farmers Food Center, Shrewsbury Agricultural Education and Arts Foundation, Shrewsbury Historical Society, WEXP, and many other community members. The project began in 2017 and was made possible by support from the National Endowment for the Humanities, as well as from this community. Throughout this podcast, you're going to be hearing stories from people around the Rutland County region in the heart of Vermont, a region rich in agriculture, family farms, a region that's a pastoral working landscape. These stories are going to be each little windows into what a regional food system really looks like on the community level. We're excited to introduce you to some passionate folks working with the land and with food and bringing communities together. So please pull up a chair and enjoy. Vermont officially recognizes four Abenaki tribes today. The Nolhegan Band of the Akusuk Abenaki, the Elnu Abenaki tribe, the Abenaki Nation at Missisquoi, and the Kawasek traditional band of the Koas Abenaki Nation. Up until industrialization and throughout much of the world today, a community's access to food is tightly woven in with that community's access to land. On this episode of Root Words, we'll talk with Chef Jesse Lawyer. My name is Jesse Lawyer. Uh, I'm an enrolled citizen um, with the Abenaki Nation at Missisquoi. I am the executive chef at Sweetwater's American Bistro in Burlington, Vermont on Church Street. And yeah, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Father Hunter, food sovereignty activist. Professor Fred Wiseman. My name is Fred Wiseman. Uh, by trade and training, I'm an ethnobotanist and geologist. Uh, I took my degree at the University of Arizona. A few years ago, I moved up to Vermont and decided to shift gears and begin working with the Abenaki community up here. Uh, since my father's mother is of Abenaki descent. And Chief Don Stevens. Yeah, I'm uh, Don Stevens. I'm uh, chief of the Nohegan Band of the Cusack Abenaki Nation. I was elected in 2010 by the families, or the family bands that make up the tribal council to carry out specific duties of being an interface with local, state, and uh, federal government and to um, represent our people as that gateway between the public and our tribe. And we'll hear a little about the Abenaki community's connection to this land, game animals, and traditional foodways, and we'll hear how these living traditions have continued to evolve and grow through contemporary times. We'll begin in the kitchen with Chef Jesse Lawyer. Almost every 
food culture in the world has been or would not be what it is today without indigenous foods to the Americas. So just, you know, you think Italian cuisine, you think tomatoes. That was nowhere else in the world before in 1492 than South America. Corn beans and squash, the only beans that were out there were soybeans and garbanzo beans. So any country that uses dry beans, you know, as part of their cuisine are using an indigenous cultivar. Uh, in Asian cuisine, you know, you know, you think spicy food, you know, Thai spicy food, Korean spicy food. Those chili peppers, those hot peppers, they were found nowhere else in the world besides South America prior to colonization. So I, I think to non-indigenous folks who are looking into this is, you know, we had a vibrant food culture all across the Americas prior to 1492. And we still have a vibrant food culture today. And I just, you know, those, those things that people think and take for granted, you know, corn, I don't know if it's the, I think it's the largest or second largest grain grown, right? These things that are part of our, everyone's diets today, you know, those are our ancestors' intellectual property. They, not only intellectual property, but those are our relatives. You know, we've tended and grown and bred those over generations. And, you know, it's time that, you know, we bring those back into our communities and continue that relationship with our food. I love duck. That's one of my favorite, favorite pieces of meat. Um, corn. I love corn in all its forms. Hominy, grits, masa, polenta, cornbread. Um, with corn, I like to I do a lot of boiled, boiled cornbread. So it's basically, you know, you're just taking corn, water. I do add maple into it, make a dough, and then boil it until it's soft. It's And then, you know, you can't from there sear it or don't. It's just, you know, you just get that beautiful flavor of the nixtamalized corn, keeping it very simple, true to the flavors. Um, squash is a big one in my repertoire of, or rather arsenal of cultivars. Love baked beans, slow cooked maple baked beans. Moose is a big one. I've been fortunate to uh, connect with a friend who uh, he's Penobscot. He's a sustenance hunter, and I went last year to moose camp with him. We tagged along on his moose hunt, and he got a moose, and he shared with me some of the meat, so that's been in my freezer. I love slow braises. I love stews. You know, if I'm going to sear a piece of meat or a backstrap, it's just going to be rare with salt. Um, wild rice. Wild rice is amazing. It just kind of like elevates any dish. And then you can also do so much with it. You know, you can just cook it and serve it as is. You can overcook it, make cakes and get them crispy on the outside. I tend to grind it into flour a lot and uh, coat fish and fry it like that. So those are just some of my uh, my favorites. When I'm, when I'm at home, I try to keep things just really simple and clean. If I do something at work, I do elevate it a little bit, but 
just really focusing on the flavors of the product themselves. So sunchokes, those are probably my favorite tuber in the world. Like, I will take those over potatoes any day. I love East Montpelier squash. It's one of our varieties that, in my mind, we don't even need to add anything to it. Just roast it, give it a quick mash, and serve it as is. I was given by Carrie Wood this year quite a few ears of Callis Flint corn. So I ground that into cornmeal and have been using that over the winter, which was delicious. But sunflowers were a big cultivar too, sunflower seeds. Jacob's cattle beans are very easily obtained in large quantities. There's a lot of growers that have them, so I do use those a lot. I did get a black bean this year that came from Quebec. That's Wabanaki variety from the Seeds of Renewal Project. So I've been experimenting with those. Um, Black bean chips, black bean burgers, and I guess the genetics of those two are completely different from the South American varieties of black beans, which is pretty interesting. And I've been developing recipes for the Abenaki people using our cultivars and wild game and a number of various forage items to bring delicious and healthy meals to the community using our traditional landscape. So I just started building and, you know, recording recipes and I've donated or I've uh, sent a few recipes over to Chief Don to pass out with the cultivars that are grown from the Abenaki Lane Lake project and just continuing to build and develop those recipes and make them accessible to Abenaki folks and put delicious food on the table. So for me, it's very important because I think at the center of a community is food. You know, that really brings a community together. It's community process of, you know, whether it's hunting or growing, it's a community effort. And, you know, traditionally it was always shared. And I'm just, I want to bring that back to our community, that kind of like shared communal food experience because I can. I think all of us can relate. Some of our fondest memories, you know, growing up and as adults are centered around food. I kind of just fell into cooking. I worked at a pizza shop in Plattsburgh, New York. I approached the owner about cooking and I started cooking there. I was there for about two and a half years cooking. And then I came to Sweetwater's as a fry cook and worked my way up to executive chef. And then, you know, I worked closely with Fred Wiseman for a number of years and he was my mentor and with all the work he was doing with our seeds and seeds of renewal and reclamation of our relatives, like he kept kind of nudging me to start working with our foodways and you know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I will, I will. And then I don't know what happened. One day it just clicked and I'm like, this is important work and I'm in a perfect position to start that work and it's kind of just grown significantly over the last three years uh well jesse's an interesting interesting guy he's trying to take um you know indigenous crops and cuisine and kind of kick it up as emerald would say to the next level um he's working on very you know very complex uh savory mixtures of uh of spices you know and uh, different types of of condiments and things like that and so we're always discussing well how far can we go can we include uh you know tomatoes uh or uh you know husk tomatoes and things like that and yeah 
So that's really interesting. What is indigenous cuisine? How far, you know, can we just deal with Abenaki? Can it, or can we spread it out a little bit? Professor Fred Wiseman started the Seeds of Renewal project in 2012 as an outgrowth of the research conducted for the four Abenaki tribes' Vermont state recognition petitions. The project has grown past seed reclamation into the more social aspects around food. Professor Wiseman helped found the Vermont Indigenous Heritage Center at Burlington's Intervale and was voted in as coordinator in June of 2020. People um, need to have control over their own food systems. And this is a, a movement that started in the 1980s, basically in Africa. Uh, there was a declaration of Nialini, basically says that uh, that people, not just indigenous people, have a full right to have their own food system and not be dictated by colonial or post-colonial powers like the United States. Uh, so things such as the, you know, the Green Revolution and trying to uh, have genetically modified stuff and put it and uh, the USDA and uh, US, USAID, uh, they kind of push these genetic engineered or you know modern varieties on people. And for a long time, everybody was, it worked well, but they, a lot of these crops uh, wear out the soil very quickly uh, because they're, they're bred to be able to be fertilized. And so uh, by uh, more chemical rather than uh, you know, biocultural means. And so there was a, a ma massive problem in the 1970s and 80s uh, as the Green Revolution really didn't pan out the way that it did. And so one of the reactions to that was uh, try to go back to your original agricultural system. Now, the big problem uh, in Africa and much of, uh, of the world is they're tied into international you know, marketing. And so people now uh, in Africa, they'll raise crops for sale to other people and then import uh, crops from someplace else. So the whole sovereignty movement is to try to break that interdependency with uh, large-scale multinational corporations. And I think it's in many places in the world, it's just a dream. Uh, but there are some places that are approaching it. Uh, some of the southwestern pueblos, for example, are probably about 60% now indigenous, uh, you know, and only about 30% uh, of the stuff has to be imported. So it's possible to approach that. So what I'm trying to do for seed sovereignty or uh, food sovereignty is make people aware of their own heritage and be able to eat their own heritage and history, if not all the time, but at least at special ceremonial times like the harvest or green corn ceremony and stuff like that. So they can connect back to who they always been to understand, you know, who they are. I think it's really important theoretically, uh, okay, to know what our history is, but for people to eat that, it gets, uh, it gets them in their heart a little bit, uh, and it, it engenders uh, a different kind of uh, emotion um, of knowing who you are. Uh, it's almost 
one person said it's almost like taking communion in the Catholic Church. Mm. You know, uh, we're all eating this together. And uh, so that's why it's really important for us to have large dinners like the Harvest Supper. And we invite, you know, all the different tribes together and uh, everybody brings a dish. Somebody will bring, you know, uh, a bear that uh, their uncle shot or, you know, deer, ground be- uh, ground uh, venison, you know, and then we're, we cook everything up over a big fire. Um, you know, and we have people that bring their maple syrup that they, add. and so, you know, it's really, it's a communion uh, kind of a situation. And I know that Coas does that. I know that Nelhegan does, and of course we at the Heritage Center uh, down in Burlington, we do it too. So that's, uh, you know, that's an important emotional and uh, even some people would say spiritual connection to understanding who we are. We, our next ceremony coming up uh, that the public is invited to is a green corn ceremony, which is set by the ripening of green corn uh, to the um, corn on the cob stage. And then we have the harvest uh, supper. Uh, these are not events that are for the public. Okay, we do these for our ancestors and ourselves, but the public is invited to watch and certain things. Uh, you know, we have dances, some dances are intertribal that we invite the public in. And we understand that that's more, you know, more realistic and more enlightening for the public in a powwow, which of course is colonized performance for a paying audience. We want to invite the Vermont public in to see what we do. Before colonization, the Abenaki tribes were stewards to all of the six million acres of what was to become known as Vermont. Today, just two pieces of forest land are held and stewarded by two of the Vermont Abenaki tribes. Forced removal disconnected communities from the land they inhabited, and Vermont's eugenics programs caused many more to hide their cultural practices and their identities. Well, I mean, historically, you know, with, and this is all across the country, you know, tribes being displaced from their homelands, you know, going onto reservations or, you know, communities being separated into individual family units and, you know, just the land getting squared off and sold, you know, where there was so much more space to roam, to hunt, to center ourselves to cultivate the land you know that that's where i guess a lot of the food problems came from originally and then now it's just having access to those lands to be able to grow or hunt and you know too i mean with processed foods and foods becoming like easier just to grab and eat you know full of basically garbage you know and then our corn beans and squash they do take a little love to to cook you know it's just you know it's a labor of love and sometimes people opt for just that quick candy bar that quick bag of chips at the store instead of you know maybe making something to take along with them or you know cooking a meal from scratch at home versus using box products so it's kind of like changing that idea in your head to you know put something that's better in your body for you than something that's quick and easy. And here, I mean, I had a conversation with Chief Don one time and 
you know, with our problem is, you know, we don't have lands and we don't have money. So it's not really food sovereignty. It's food security. So, you know, we have people that help us get the food we need to get to tribal citizens to be able to feed them where eventually I want to see us get to a point where we're doing that ourselves. So we're, we're taking care of ourselves and our people with food. It would most likely start with, you know, lands that we can operate ourselves and tend to ourselves, grow ourselves, harvest ourselves, hunt on ourselves and do it ourselves. And I guess, instead of relying on other people to help us, which like, I'm not trying to negate the fact that, you know, it's great that people help us. It is, it is wonderful. And I'm so glad that there's so many farmers and people that are willing to help out. I, I just personally would like to see ourselves be able to do that. So us taking care of ourselves as it has been in the past. Chief Don Stevens of the Nulhegan Band of Abenaki believes that food sovereignty for his tribe will come when they are able to provide for their own sustenance. Currently, um, we are not at the food sovereignty um, level yet. I call it food security because since we don't have our own land except for 65 acres of forest land, we don't have the acreage to grow crops on our own land. So I call it food security because we rely on others who hold the deeds to those lands to, to help us grow our crops, raise our bison and beef, and to provide us access to collect natural foods and medicines. So that's why it's more referred to, in my view, as food security more than sovereignty. We hope to work towards sovereignty. And, and so, what are what are some of the ways that you are what, what are some of the ways that you're working towards food sovereignty? Well, I took a three pronged approach along with our tribe. Uh, first, to give us access to the lands that our ancestors once had, to be able to collect natural foods, medicines, and artistry material. So, if you went to our website abenakitribe.org and looked under partnerships you would see the agreements that I have negotiated with the state of Vermont, Fish and Wildlife Department, the, uh, the Department of uh, State Parks and Recs, Agency of Natural Resources, uh, the, and a host of other <clears throat> organizations like the Vermont Land Trust, Green Mountain National Forest, and so on. So these agreements are all different based on the comfort level of the person and allows us to access those lands to do the traditional gathering of our foods. That's the first prong approach. The second prong approach was working with people like the colleges uh, to be a seed bank, to grow our crops uh, and distribute those produce, the produce that was achieved from those seed bank um, growing opportunities and provide that food to our people while educating the students. Along with that garden um, project was also working with Rubidon, Vermont and NOPA, who we started the Abenaki Land Link project with that has, has started out with about 15 growers that helped us grow food and, and save the seeds. 
but also we have expanded to about 40 uh, people this year to, to grow those. And last year, I think we produced around 700 pounds of squash, a few hundred pounds of beans and some few hundred pounds of cornmeal. And uh, this, I expect that number to rise drastically with the increase of helper with, with other people having to grow. The third and last approach was to um, raise bison and beef. We have a bison herd in shore in Vermont. Um, we have about 24 bison and uh, we call them periodically to provide our, uh, the, the meat um, to our citizens along with beef as needed. So people have the, the beef, they have the garden products and they have the natural access to food. So there's a, um, like a tri, trifecta approach. You, you, you just, it's just a different, you have to look at not just what you're doing for yourself, but how does that impact the world around you? And I think that's the biggest thing is understanding your connection to the food source, certain techniques that you can use for gardening. I mean, you might want to use fish instead of fertilizer, but also, you know, that, that worldview of how things are interconnected and, and the way of being in this world, uh, that's a shared responsibility. So I think, I think that's really what I want people to really get to know and understand my 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 recommendation is just reconnect to your food source your spiritual source and the environment around you and the land that you you walk on um you know and find ways to make it better for not only yourself but the people who the, the animals and the plants that live around you and and what do they what do they need that's i mean i just challenge people to do that um and look at things in a different way Chief Don Stevens is looking at the challenge of Abenaki food sovereignty in new and different ways. His three-pronged approach has borne a lot of fruit already, and we're going to dig into some of that contemporary Abenaki foodways work, including the Abenaki Landlink Project and the Seeds of Renewal Project, when we come back in Season 2 of Root Words. We'll also meet more chefs and growers and passionate folks expanding food access in more communities. Until then, maybe you can drop by Sweetwaters and treat yourself to whatever elevated cultivar Jesse may have on the menu tonight. Like if I can take anything or if I can give anything from what I'm doing is I want to inspire, you know, home cooks within the community to want to cook this kind of food for them and their families. I mean, that's, that's really, I, I ask my question a lot, like, with my Instagram is like, what, what am I trying to obtain? Why am I doing this? And the only thing I can keep coming back to is to inspire our tribal citizens to cook. I feel connected to my ancestors and that we're still cooking and eating and sustaining ourselves with the same food that our ancestors did. And my children eat it and I hope that they are watching what I'm doing and, you know, continue to eat that and teach that to their children and just, you know, keep it, keep it alive and take it back. 
This episode of Root Words was produced by Stephen Abital. Special thanks to Jesse Lawyer, Professor Fred Wiseman, and Chief Don Stevens. You can follow Jesse Lawyer on Instagram at the Donland Kitchen for some culinary inspiration. Check out the Vermont Indigenous Heritage Center's website, alnobawi.org, spelled A-L-N-O-B-A-I-W-I dot O-R-G, for information about Professor Wiseman's Seeds of Renewal project, as well as events at Burlington's Intervale Center that are open to the public. You can learn more about Chief Don Stevens and the Nulhegan Band of the Abenaki's work for food sovereignty online at abenakitribe.org. Our musical themes are by the Salt Ash Serenaders. We are a project of the Vermont Farmers Food Center and SAGE. Thank you all for listening and for being a part of our local food system. This podcast has been made possible by generous support from the National Endowment for the Humanities. We'll catch you next time on Root Words. I will add one thing. I don't know if I said this yet, but, you know, with especially in Vermont and the push for local foods and eating local and buying local, you can't have that conversation without the indigenous perspective because there is nothing more local in any part of, you know, the Americas than what the indigenous people were eating, growing. You, You just can't get any more local than that. So if you are talking about local food systems, you start at square one, you start at the indigenous populations of that area. And here in Vermont just happens to be the Abenaki.